Our second reading is Psalm 137. The Psalms are the hymn book of Scripture. And like our hymns, they are often turned to for comfort. They give expression of praise to God. But Psalm 137 is a psalm of lament, a psalm almost too hard to sing because the dust of grief is caught in the throat. I didn't intend to preach from a psalm of lament on the day we learn of John Scherer and Kara's new call is just a providential appropriateness. The setting is Israel had been conquered by the Babylonians. The Babylonians had raised Jerusalem. They had burned the temple. They gathered up leaders of Israel and marched them east to Babylon where they were captive. The people of Israel could work. They could worship, albeit without a temple. They just couldn't go home. This was more than a military crisis, it was a theological crisis. The question is, where was God in all of this? Later, like Jesus on the cross, they no doubt wondered if God had forsaken them. Listen to Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there, we hung up our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs and our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem's fall, how they said, tear it down, tear it down, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, you devastator, happy shall they be who pay you back what you have done to us. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. Their captors taunted them. Sing us one of your worship songs. Sing us one of the old hymns of Zion. Where is your God? But their songs of worship had left them. They were replaced with tears. I am sure you have known grief. Perhaps you are walking that path right now and you know that grief is a long and sloppy walk. Our emotions defy control. They seem too big for our bodies. Loss brings sadness, but it also can bring a loss of perspective. This can be particularly true when grief is tied to the unfairness of life, when the moral arc of the universe seems tilted in the wrong direction. These are the questions of exile. Has God forsaken us? My friend Tom Long was a teacher of preachers at Candler School of Theology, Emory in Atlanta. He tells a story, he tells of a time when he, as he said, he had a run-in with the law. 
he, he was crossing some lanes of traffic in Atlanta. The car in front of him stopped, so he stopped. When he did, the nose of his car was in one lane, the tail of the car in another lane, and right behind him was a police officer. Tom got a ticket for impeding the flow of traffic. He said, when you're a young man, you get a ticket for speeding in a convertible. When you're 65, you get a ticket for being in the way. <laughs> but he's a professor, so he went to the library, the law library. He decided to read up on this law impeding the flow of traffic. He decided he could make a case that he wasn't actually impeding the flow of traffic. He found precedent, case law. He got a folder. He said, his wife said to him, for goodness sakes, what are you doing? Just pay the ticket. He said, no, 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 there's a principle here. I did not impede the flow of traffic. Well, his day of court came, they called his name, he grabbed his folder. The judge said, the officer who submitted this ticket no longer works for the county. There's no one to testify against you. You are free to go. <laughs> Tom said, wait a minute, you can't just dismiss this case. I, I got a folder here. I got a folder here. You see, when, when things have gone wrong, we want them to be made right. And when they aren't, or they can't, we grieve. That's the grief of exile. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land, they asked. Two Sundays ago, we had our annual congregational meeting. It was a great meeting. There's so much to celebrate in this place. That evening, I was invited to join some friends to watch the Super Bowl, which turned out as Providence desires. The Kansas City Chiefs uh, won yet another Super Bowl. Some with whom I were watching, they were misguided and cheering for San Francisco. It's okay, it's okay. As my friend Roger says, they are ones for whom Jesus also died. It was a wonderful week. And Monday and Tuesday of that week were filled with positive meetings and meaningful conversation. And then Wednesday, I got a text from my son letting you know that I am safe. I left the chief's parade before the shooting started. I went cold. My knees grew weak knowing that that crowd was filled with people that I love. We learned that a dozen children were shot and wounded, and some reports were that children were among those drawing weapons. You know this nightmare. Almost every day, our newspapers here in Chicago report a shooting here or there. This is the 56th day of 2024. And according to Gun Violence Archive, there have been 57 mass shootings in 2024. A shooting where there are four or more victims. In 56 days, over 200 children have died in this country from gun violence. And I don't know what you think about all of that, but I am beyond weary of the national shrug of the shoulders to this uniquely American scandal. No nation of honor 
sacrifices her own children this way. No nation of honor looks away. As I watched my phone that Wednesday, praying that I did not learn that someone I knew was hurt, but knowing that everyone who was injured and killed was loved by some, tears were close. You know that feeling. You've been there. Sometimes tears come because the pain is too deep to speak. The poets have yet to invent the vocabulary to express our brokenness. We just weep. But the way of grief means that our emotions do not always stop with sadness. What we witness in the psalm is that the tears turn to rage. When I read the psalm a moment ago, I didn't finish it. I didn't read the last verse. I couldn't without at least trying to prepare us a bit. As the rage spills over, the desire for vengeance is so graphic. One scholar has said the last verse of the 137th Psalm is the moral low point of Scripture. The psalmist wrote this. O daughter Babylon, you devastator, happy shall they be who pay you back what you have done to us. Happy shall they be who take your little ones and dash them against the rock. It's hard to read that. It's hard to read that in church. It's hard to find prayers like that in Scripture. How can anyone pray for the destruction of the innocent? These are unholy words. They are found in the holy book, but they are unholy words. I hate this psalm. But I must admit, sometimes I need it. Because as repugnant as these words may be, they speak the truth of us at times. This psalm is not exemplary. It is cautionary. We see this psalm coming to life in front of us every day in the Middle East. You pick who you want to blame and who you want to sympathize with. But the slaughter of children on all sides is only planting the seeds for tomorrow's violence. But it's not just there. It's here. It's, it's, it's everywhere. There's un, unchecked vengeance is commonplace. Neil Steinberg, writer of the Chicago Sun-Times, said, We live in the golden age of vindictiveness. The only question is who is the object of retribution this week? Happy shall they be when they dash your little ones. I hate this psalm, but I confess my need for it because I'm not above hatred. I'm not. I bet you aren't either. I often believe my hatred is righteous, and indeed at times it may be. But hatred is risky. 
Hatred has a seductive power to invite me to become that which I despise. Hatred sometimes brings out a worse version of myself rather than the best version of myself, even when my hatred is justified. That's why I need this psalm, because while the Scripture does not advocate vengeance, it does name that the desire for vengeance is real. Sometimes prayers like this are simply the best we can do. It was 30 years ago, I was serving a church in South Carolina. I was pastor to a young guy named Kyle. Kyle worked for the state law enforcement division of the state. He was part of a team called to find two little boys who had allegedly been kidnapped in a carjacking in a small town in South Carolina. Kyle said within 10 minutes, within 10 minutes, of interviewing the children's mother, he knew in his gut there had been no carjacking. But they were required to spend days for looking for a make-believe suspect, but in the end, it came out, Susan Smith had killed her own children. Kyle sat in my study and wept. He and his wife had longed for a child and none would come. And now it was his job to interview a woman who had taken the life of her own. He said, Tom, I scared myself. I scared myself. I was so enraged. I wanted her to hurt like they had hurt. It doesn't have to be that dramatic for us, for us to want someone to pay sometimes just anyone, to pay for all that has gone wrong. We have those feelings of rage sometimes, and when our rage is righteous, it seldom leaves us, even when our rage is righteous, it seldom leaves us as our best self. And yet the rage is not something we can afford to ignore. So what do we do with it? It gets complicated. Sometimes polite folk, we just pretend it's not there. We just, we just ignore unseemly emotions. We just pretend that it's not there, which is somewhere between dangerous and just stupid because it's going to come out. And when it does, we often do damage to ourselves or quite frequently those whom we love. When it comes to emotions, living in the land of pretend doesn't work. On the other hand, you probably know some folks who don't hold that in check at all. They make no effort to deny the rage and hatred. They choose to lean into those feelings, striking back, striking out, making someone else pay. This is not helpful either. If I understand the teaching of the psalm, and it's challenging, but I think it gives us a different invitation. 
If I understand it, the text teaches us that the healthiest thing to do, the most human thing to do with our hatred is to bring our rage to God. The safe place for hate is with God. We cannot always be holy before God, but you can always be honest. God welcomes that. When we pray honest prayers, even if they are the lowest points of our hearts, God receives them. So when we want to bash someone's head against the rock, the safest thing to do is to tell God that that's exactly what you want. Several years ago, Carol and I, we attended a fundraiser for the Midwest Innocence Project. Our friends were the host of the evening, so we got to sit at the head table and Carol sat next to the keynote speaker who was the author, John Grisham. I was a little envious. I sat next to a guy named Dennis. <laughs> and I'm glad I did. I sat next to Dennis Fritz. Grisham's only work of nonfiction is entitled The Innocent Man, and it was written about Dennis Fritz, who was wrongly convicted of murder. As I sat next to him and we ate our salads, I wondered how I would handle being put in prison for a crime I had absolutely nothing to do with. I think I would go crazy. He wasted 11 years in prison. I would have been so bitter. But the man I dined with was gracious, peaceful, even joyful. I asked him about it. I said, Dennis, aren't you, aren't you angry? You can't get any of those days back. Don't you hate what they did to you? He put his fork down. He said, I did. Man, oh man, did I hate them. There were days I had plans, Reverend. I had plans. But I tell you, that hatred just made a mess out of, my, mess out of me. I was at a pretty low point, but Reverend, that's when I remembered my faith. And I took my hatred to God and I asked God to take it from me. And then he said, but you're a reverend, so you already know about all of that. I said, I'm not sure I do, Dennis, but I know after tonight I want to. I know I want to know about that. When I'm at my worst, I sure hope I can leave it with God. Happy are they who dash your little ones against the rock, they prayed. There is nothing holy about this prayer, but even unholy prayers that are honest can lead to a better day. If your heart is heavy, maybe even raging, if hatred is dancing a little too close with you, I think God is saying, bring me your brokenness, bring me your pain, Bring me your rage. Bring me your hatred. I can take it. Bring it to me. I can take it. And maybe in time, I can take it away from you.
Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.